Happy Friday, Story Fam. I hope that you've had a great week so far. We've had a remarkable summer at the Story. I hope you're finding some time this summer to rest and reconnect with God before the chaos of the fall season is upon us because it's coming. <laughs> um, you know, busyness and stress can be so devastating to our relationships with other people, but also with God. And uh, it can be really uh, d- destructive to our faith if we let it. And with that in mind, I wrote today's reflection about the importance of carving out some quiet time with God. And at the end of this reflection, I'll share with you three things that I try to do every single day, no matter how busy I get. So let's get right to it. This is called Three Things I Do Every Day No Matter What. Recently, I was playfully arguing with a 20-something guy from the story about whether or not prayer works. He didn't think that it does because he's been led to assume by his church, mostly, that he grew up in that prayer is about getting what we want from God. And in his experience, that sort of prayer has been a failed enterprise. You know, God didn't give him what he wanted. God didn't give him the girl he wanted or the school he wanted or the job he wanted. So many of the big things that he had prayed for had never come to pass, you know? We all know what that's like. And then as the conversation progressed, he pressed me to explain my definition of prayer. And the first word that came to mind was vision. That's what prayer is for me. It's about vision. I said, for me, prayer isn't about getting what we want from God. It's about seeing a vision of what God wants for us. I thought that was a pretty good answer, but he wasn't that impressed. He rattled off a few half-remembered Bible verses about God giving believers whatever we ask for, whenever we ask for it. And He insisted that the Bible writers must have exaggerated prayer's power. Your version of prayer sounds weak, he said with conviction, adding, you might as well call it meditation. Because what's the difference? He spoke with such urgency and frustration that I couldn't help thinking of Elijah in the Old Testament. Elijah, much like the young man who sat in front of me that day, walked in God's favor all the days of his life. He had always been taken care of. God always provided for him and walked alongside of him. But Elijah lived in troubled times, and Elijah was a troubled man. Um, The corrupt king Ahab and his wicked queen Jezebel were ruling in in Israel. They were ruling unjustly in Israel. They didn't worship the God of Israel, but a false god named Baal. The prophets of Yahweh were being killed every day. Elijah's friends were getting wiped out, and Elijah was the most famous of Israel's prophets. And so he was on top of Queen Jezebel's most wanted list. Whenever things got really dangerous, Elijah, uh, God told Elijah to go out into the wilderness where no one could find him. And Elijah did exactly what God told him to do and went out into the wilderness alone. He trusted God, you know, they had a relationship because God had always been faithful. And God met him there in the wilderness and tended to Elijah's every need. 1 Kings 17 verses 5 and 6 say uh, this. So Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the Wadi Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the Wadi. So God took good care of Elijah. And then the Wadi began to dry up. So God told Elijah to go into this town where a widow would take care of him. And Elijah trusts God again, and, and he, he went, and there was a widow to take care of him. And First Kings 18, verses 1 and 2 say this, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year of the drought, saying, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. And so Elijah went and presented himself to Ahab. So everything's going like it should. God is saying, Go here, and Elijah's going in faith, and God's taking care of Elijah. 
So Elijah went to confront the king who had killed all the prophets and the king, you know, who wanted him dead, frankly. And it was dangerous, but God said, go. So Elijah went. And when you've spent time with God, when you've built rapport with God and, and you learn to trust God, you realize all the ways God has looked after you throughout your life and you live with a certain kind of confidence. You know God's got your back no matter what. When Elijah confronted King Ahab, he had enough confidence in God to challenge Ahab and his prophets to a sort of duel of the gods between Yahweh and Baal. And if you were at the story a few weeks ago, you heard the sermon from our student ministry coordinator, um, Dylan Braddock, and he did a tremendous job with it. But Elijah came out so victorious, like there was no questioning Elijah's God after this incredible fire came down from heaven like a lightning bolt and consumed the offering that was on the altar. And Elijah dropped the mic and walked off the stage. It was a beautiful moment for Elijah, the highlight of his life. He had never imagined being so successful and so well-known and so close to God. He had everything he ever wanted and more in that moment. Even King Ahab, evil King Ahab repented and turned to the God of Israel because of Elijah's ministry. From a preacher's perspective, it doesn't get any better than this. He was on top of the world, Elijah was, celebrating his greatest achievement as a prophet one day. But the next day, it all went wrong. King Ahab went back home and told his queen Jezebel what Elijah had done. But the queen's heart was so hard and she was so dark that she doubled down on her hatred of Elijah and his God. And she sent a message to the prophet saying, enjoy this day because by this time tomorrow, I'll have your head. And with that threat, Elijah went from the mountaintop with God to the valley of the shadow of death, emotionally speaking, overnight. He knew that Jezebel meant business. She had already murdered all of his friends. She was a, she was a, a bad lady. There's a reason that Christians today name their kids every other name in the Bible except Jezebel. I've met Christian kids named Barnabas and Zipporah, Habakkuk. I met a Habakkuk once, but I've never met a kid named Jezebel because that's just how evil she was. So Elijah, scared to death, ran into the wilderness again. But this time it wasn't because God told him to. This time in his fear and in the chaos of his life, Elijah didn't even stop to consider God. And this is important for us to see the difference. Before he was following God, and now he's running away with God or without him. And in the heat of this moment, under all of that stress, he simply ran for his life into the wilderness, and then he prayed for God to end his life. Elijah was so afraid, so depressed and anxious that he wanted to die. He saw no other way out. It's wild, isn't it? How quickly one crisis, one wrong turn, one piece of bad news can make us lose all perspective of the journey that we've been on with God. Consider that just yesterday, Elijah was calling fire down from heaven on his enemies and declaring victory in the name of the Lord. And now he's laying under a tree alone in the desert, hoping to die. This is a great reminder of the power of adversity and stress in our lives. No matter how good things are or how successful you've been, even the tiniest bit of stress and adversity can creep in and take over in the blink of an eye. Eventually, Elijah took shelter in a, in a cave where he proceeded to throw himself a big pity party. But the word of the Lord came to the prophet and said, Elijah, come out of the cave. The Lord is about to pass by. So Elijah walked out of his cave and looked for God. And suddenly there was a windstorm so violent, raging around Elijah, so chaotic. It was cracking the rocks. 
beneath Elijah's feet. And Elijah looked for God in the chaos of that wind, but God wasn't there. And then there was an earthquake, and the ground trembled beneath the prophet's feet. Elijah looked for God in the earthquake, but God wasn't there. Then there was a wildfire burning all around Elijah, and he looked for God in the heat of the blazing fire, but God wasn't there either. And to this point in the story, Elijah has done exactly what most of us do when life falls apart. He gave into the chaos and ran aimlessly without seeking God's guidance first. He isolated himself, hiding in fear like a coward, and then he started looking for God in places where God is not to be found. And most of us do the same things when stress and fear and disappointment take over. The young man who didn't get his girl or the school or the job that he wanted, who sat across from me that day, reacted to his frustration and disappointment much like Elijah did. He was looking for God to perform for him in the chaos and noise of his life, just like Elijah looked for God in the chaos and noise of the storm, the quake, and the fire. But only after the winds died down, the ground stopped shaking, and the fires went out, could Elijah experience the presence of God. And the story goes, after the fire, there was a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're seeking my life to take it away. In the short-term urgency of his own emergency, Elijah lost sight of God's bigger vision for his life. He forgot all the ways that God had looked after him and provided for him all those years. And he even forgot how God showed up for him just the day before against the prophets of Baal. He was too busy being stressed and afraid, caught up in himself, to remember how God had never let him down and had brought him this far in the first place. It's so easy for us to do the same thing, isn't it? When things get messy, we get sucked into the chaos and surround ourselves with noise. And then we wonder why God's not there. Sometimes we even get angry when God doesn't speak over the noise that we refuse to turn off. And then one day you find yourself in a coffee shop arguing with your pastor about all the reasons why prayer doesn't work. Meanwhile, God's been there all along, waiting for us to hear him in the silence. We get in the habit of telling ourselves there's no time for silence. But it's not like God requires us to take a lifelong vow of solitude and silence. All we really need is a few quiet minutes a day with God to completely change our perspective. And a few quiet minutes is something we all can manage, if we're honest. If you would just stop each day for five minutes of silent stillness, you would begin to see everything differently, starting with yourself and your friends and family, your enemies even. And yes, God. You'll be reminded of all the times that God has taken care of you in the past. And you'll see a vision of what God wants for your future. And it will change the way that you pray. When I stop in silence to look back on my own life, it's so clear to me that God has looked after me every moment of my existence. Like anyone, I've had my share of struggles and heartache, but I can honestly look back and see how there's always been something to keep me going, someone in my path to encourage me. There was always some provision or protection from God that I couldn't even see at the time. And just five minutes of silent stillness with God is enough to remind me that He's always been and always will be faithful, and true. 
Sometimes to see a vision of what God has in store for you, you have to escape the chaos of the world around you. That's especially true when your life feels extra stressful. No matter how chaotic things might get, there are three very simple things that I try to do every day. They're so easy for me to remember, and it's incredibly helpful for me to have something simple to hold on to when things feel like they're spinning out of control. So first, I reflect. I reflect. This means I simply stop for a moment to ponder the wonders of God. The Bible says in the Psalms, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you've done. I ponder the work of your hands. I reflect. Second, I repent. This is important. Easy to miss this one. Repentance just means I acknowledge my sin before God. I ask God for the grace to overcome sin's power in my life today. Now remember that Jesus' first sermon was, repent of your sin, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it seems important. And so I include it in my three things every day. I reflect, I repent, and third, I rejoice. Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoicing happens in a number of different ways. Sometimes it looks as simple as, as me saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, over and over in my office to God. But other times, rejoicing can look like me turning up my favorite worship song in the car and dancing in the driver's seat while stuck in traffic. Whatever it looks like, it's never forced. It doesn't have to be forced. Because once I've spent a moment reflecting on God's goodness, repenting of my sin, and, and reflecting on his grace, I just find it impossible not to rejoice. Reflection and repentance naturally leads to rejoicing. Well, if you're looking for a way to escape the chaos and the noise of everyday life, I hope you'll find these three daily habits helpful. And I hope you'll put them to use in your walk with God. Through it all, no matter how bad things may seem, no matter how stressed you may feel, remember that God has been and always will be faithful and true. Bye, everybody.